Welcome to Sleepy Head Stories today. We love to read books, be silly, and play. Me and my mommy are here every week to read you great stories that all are unique. Join us at bedtime, or bath time, or breakfast. We promise it's better than a trip to the dentist. Welcome to Sleepyhead Stories. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Sleepyhead Stories. This week we are going to be reading part two of The Little Prince. And that is Hannah in the background, our dog snoring. (laughs) So you might hear some doggy snores throughout the story and I apologize, but I think it's cute. Uh, So we're going to be doing part two of The Little Prince and then next week we will be finishing the story, The Little Prince. I hope you guys are enjoying it. In last week's episode, we meet The Little Prince. We learn about the planet that he's from and how tiny it is and how um, fragile it is. And also we meet the rose, the rose that finds its way to his planet and how she's a lot of work, the rose. And the little prince decides to search the universe for other planets and kind of take a break from the rose and his planet for a while and do some exploring. So that's where we are at this week. The little prince begins his exploration through space and he lands on about five or six different planets along the way. Um, Next week we will finish and then we'll discuss the whole book as a whole. Again, I hope you guys are enjoying it. Conchetta and I have already read this book several times over the course of her life and she's seen the movies and she absolutely loves it. It's one of her favorites. So I hope you guys love it too. Okay, right after this, we'll get into The Little Prince Part 2. Hang in there. The Little Prince, Part 2 He happened to be in the vicinity of asteroids 325, 326, 327, 328, 329, and 330. So he began by visiting them to keep himself busy and to learn something. The first one was inhabited by a king wearing purple and ermine. He was sitting on a simple yet majestic throne. Ah, here's a subject, the king explained when he caught sight of the little prince. And the little prince wondered, how can he know who I am? if he's never seen me before. He didn't realize that for kings, the world is extremely simplified. All men are subjects. Approach the throne so I can get a better look at you, said the king, very proud of being a king for someone at last. The little prince looked around for a place to sit down, but the planet was covered by the magnificent cloak. So he remained standing, and since he was tired, he yawned. It is a violation of etiquette to yawn in a king's presence, the monarch told him. I forbid you to do so. Uh, I can't help it, answered the little prince, quite embarrassed. I've made a long journey and I haven't slept any. Then I command you to yawn, said the king. 
I haven't seen anyone yawn for years. For me, yawns are a curiosity. Come on, yawn again. That's an order. That intimidates me. I can't do it now, said the little prince, blushing deeply. Well, well, the king replied. Then I, I command you to yawn sometimes and to sometimes... He was sputtering a little and seemed annoyed, for the king insisted that his authority be universally respected. He would tolerate no disobedience being an absolute monarch. But since he was a kindly man, all his commands were reasonable. If I were to command, he would often say, if I were to command a general to turn into a seagull, and if the general did not obey, That would not be the general's fault. It would be mine. May I sit down? The little prince timidly inquired. I command you to sit down, the king replied, majestically gathering up a fold of his ermine robe. But the little prince was wondering. The planet was tiny. Over what could the king really reign? Sire, he ventured, Excuse me for asking. I command you to ask, the king hastily said. Sire, over what do you reign? Over everything, the king answered with great simplicity. Over everything? With a discreet gesture, the king pointed to his planet, to the other planets, and to the stars. Over all that? asked the little prince. Over all that? the king answered. For not only was he an absolute monarch, but a universal monarch as well. And do the stars obey you? Of course, the king replied. They obey immediately. I tolerate no insubordination. Such power amazed the little prince. If he had wielded it himself, he could have watched not 44, but 72 or 100 or even 200 sunsets on the same day without ever having to move his chair. And since he was feeling rather sad on account of remembering his own little planet, which he had forsaken, he ventured to ask the king a favor. I'd like to see a sunset. Do me a favor, your majesty. Command the sun to set. If I commanded a general to fly from one flower to the next like a butterfly, or to write a tragedy, or to turn into a seagull, and if the general did not carry out my command, which of us would be in the wrong, the general or me? You would be, said the little prince quite firmly. Exactly. One must command from each what each can perform, the king went on. Authority is based, first of all, upon reason. If you command your subjects to jump in the ocean, there will be a revolution. I am entitled to command obedience because my orders are reasonable. Then my sunset, insisted the little prince, who never let go of a question once he had asked it. You shall have your sunset. I shall command it. But I shall wait, according to my science of government, until conditions are favorable. And when will that be, inquired the little prince. 
Well, well, replied the king, first consulting a large calendar. Well, well, that will be around, around, that will be tonight, around 7.40, and you will see how well I am obeyed. The little prince yawned. He was regretting his lost sunset. And besides, he was already growing a little bored. I have nothing further to do here, he told the king. I'm going to be on my way. Do not leave, answered the king, who was so proud of having a subject. Do not leave. I shall make you my minister. A minister of what? Of, of justice. But there's no one here to judge. You never know, the king told him. I have not yet explored the whole of my realm. I am very old and I have no room for a carriage and it wearies me to, to walk. Oh, but I've already seen for myself, said the little prince, leaning forward to glance one more time at the other side of the planet. There's no one over there either. Then you shall pass judgment on yourself, the king answered. That is the hardest thing of all. It's much harder to judge yourself than to judge others. If you succeed in judging yourself, it's because you are truly a wise man. But I can judge myself anywhere, said the little prince. I don't need to live here. Well, well, the king said. I have good reason to believe that there is an old rat living somewhere on my planet. I hear him at night. You could judge the old rat. From time to time, you couldn't condemn him to death. That way, his life will depend on your justice. But you'll pardon him each time for the economy's sake. There's only one rat. I don't like condemning anyone to death, the little prince said, and I don't think that I want to do this. And now I think I'll be on my way. No, said the king. The little prince, having completed his preparations, had no desire to aggrieve the old monarch. If your majesty desires to be promptly obeyed, he should give me a reasonable command. He might command me, for instance, to leave before this minute is up. It seems to me that conditions are favorable. The king having made no answer, the little prince hesitated at first, and then, with a sigh, took his leave. <sighs> I'll make you my ambassador, the king hastily shouted after him. He had a great air of authority. I'll make you my ambassador, he yelled as the little prince made his way. Grown-ups are so strange, the little prince said to himself as he went. The second planet was inhabited by a very vain man. Ah, a visit from an admirer, he exclaimed when he caught sight of the little prince, still at some distance. To vain men, other people are admirers. Hello, said the little prince. That's a funny hat you're wearing. It's for answering acclamations, the very vain man replied. Unfortunately, no one ever comes this way. 
Is that so? said the little prince, who did not understand what the vain man was talking about. Clap your hands, directed the man. The little prince clapped his hands, and the vain man tipped his hat in a modest acknowledgement. This is more entertaining than the visit to the king, the little prince said to himself, and he continued clapping. The very vain man continued tipping his hat in acknowledgement. After five minutes of this exercise, the little prince tired of the game's monotony. And what would make the hat fall off? he asked. But the vain man did not hear him. Vain men never hear anything but praise. Do you really admire me a great deal? he asked the little prince. What does that mean, admire? To admire means to acknowledge that I am the handsomest, best dressed, the richest, and the most intelligent man on the planet. But you're only a man on your planet. Do me this favor. Admire me all the same. I admire you, said the little prince, with a little shrug of his shoulders. But what is there about my admiration that interests you so much? And the little prince went on his way. Grown-ups are certainly very strange, he said to himself as he continued on his journey. The next planet was inhabited by a drunkard. This visit was a very brief one, but it plunged the little prince into a deep depression. What are you doing there? He asked the drunkard, whom he found sunk in silence before a collection of empty bottles and a collection of full ones. Drinking, replied the drunkard with a gloomy expression. Why are you drinking? The little prince asked. To forget replied the drunkard. To forget what? inquired the little prince, who was already feeling sorry for him. To forget that I am ashamed, confessed the drunkard, hanging his head. What are you ashamed of? inquired the little prince, who wanted to help. Of drinking, concluded the drunkard, withdrawing into silence for good, and the little prince went on his way, puzzled. Grown-ups are certainly very, very strange, he said to himself as he continued on his journey. The fourth planet belonged to a businessman. The person was so busy that he didn't even raise his head when the little prince arrived. Hello, said the little prince. Your cigarette's gone out. Three and two makes five, five and seven, twelve, twelve and three, fifteen, uh, hello, fifteen and seven, twenty-two, twenty-two and six, twenty-eight, no time to light it again, twenty-six, twenty-five, thirty-two, phew, that amounts to five hundred and one million six hundred twenty-two thousand seven hundred thirty-one. Five hundred million what? Hmm, you're still here. Five hundred and one million, I don't remember. I have so much work to do. I'm a serious man and I can't be bothered with trifles. Two and five and seven. 
500 and million what? repeated the little prince, who had never in his life let go of a question once he asked it. The businessman raised his head. For the 54 years I've inhabited this planet, I've been interrupted only three times. The first time was 22 years ago when I was interrupted by a beetle that had fallen onto my desk from God knows where. It made a terrible noise and I made four mistakes in my calculations. The second time was 11 years ago when I was interrupted by a fit of rheumatism. I don't get enough exercise and I have to take time to take strolls. I'm a serious person. The third time is right now. Where was I? 501 million. A million what? The businessman realized that there was no hope of being left in peace. Oh, of those little things you sometimes see in the sky. Flies? No, those shiny little things. Bees? No, those little golden things that make people lazy and daydream. Now, I'm a serious person. I have no time for daydreaming. Ah, you mean the stars. Yes, that's it, stars. And what do you do with 500 million stars? 501 million, 622,731. I'm a serious person and I'm accurate. Okay, and, and what do you do with those stars? What do I do with them? Yes, nothing. I own them. You own the stars? Yes. But I've already seen a king who kings don't own. They reign over. It's quite different. And what good does owning the stars do for you? It does me the good of being rich. And what good does it do to be rich? It lets me buy other stars if somebody discovers them. The little prince said to himself, This man argues a little like my drunkard. Nevertheless, he asked more questions. How can someone own the stars? To whom do they belong? retorted the businessman grumpily. I don't know. To nobody. Then they belong to me because I thought of it first. And that's all it takes? Of course. When you find a diamond that belongs to nobody in particular, then it's yours. When you find an island that belongs to nobody in particular, it's yours. When you're the first person to have an idea, you patent it and it's yours. Now, I own the stars since no one before me ever thought of owning them. That's true enough, the little prince said. And what do you do with them? I manage them. I count them. And then I count them again, the businessman said. It's difficult work, but I'm a serious person. The little prince was not satisfied. If I own a scarf, I can tie it around my neck and take it away. If I own a flower, I can pick it and take it away. But you can't pick the stars. 
No, but I can put them in the bank. What does that mean? That means that I write the number of stars on a slip of paper, and then I lock that slip of paper in a drawer. And that's all? That's enough! That's amusing, thought the little prince, and even poetic, but not very serious. The little prince had very different ideas about serious things from those of the grown-ups. I own a flower myself, he continued, which I water every day. I own three volcanoes, which I rake out every week. I even rake out the extinct one. You never know. So it's of some use to my volcanoes, and it's useful to my flower that I own them, but you're not useful to the stars. The businessman opened his mouth but found nothing to say in reply, and the little prince went on his way. Grown-ups are certainly quite extraordinary, was all he said to himself as he continued on his journey. The fifth planet was very strange. It was the smallest of all. There was just enough room for a street lamp and a lamplighter. The little prince couldn't quite understand what use a street lamp and a lamplighter could be there up in the sky on a planet without any people and not a single house. However, he said to himself, it's quite possible that this man is absurd, but he's less absurd than the king, than the very vain man, the businessman, and the drunkard. At least his work has some meaning. When he lights his lamp, it's as if he's bringing one star to life or one more flower. When he puts out his lamp, that sends the flower or the star to sleep, which is a fine occupation and therefore truly useful. When the little prince reached this planet, he greeted the lamplighter respectfully. Good morning. Why have you just put out your lamp? Orders, the lamplighter answered. Good morning. What orders are those? To put out my street lamp. Good evening. And he lit his lamp again. But why have you just lit your lamp again? Orders. I don't understand, said the little prince. There's nothing to understand, said the lamplighter. Orders are orders. Good morning. And he put out his lamp. Then he wiped his forehead with a red handkerchief. It's a terrible job I have. It used to be reasonable enough. I put the lamp out in the mornings and lit the lamp after dark. I had the rest of the day for my own affairs and the rest of the night for sleeping. And since then, orders have changed? Orders haven't changed, the lamplighter said. That's just the trouble. Year by year, the planet is turning faster and faster, and orders haven't changed. Which means, which means that now that the planet revolves once a minute, I don't have an instant's rest. I light my lamp and turn it out once every minute. That's funny. Your days here are one minute long? It's not that funny at all, the lamplighter said. You and I have already been talking to each other for a month. A, a month? Yes. 30 minutes, 30 days. Good evening. 
and he lit his lamp. The little prince watched him, growing fonder and fonder of his lamplighter friend, who was so faithful to do his orders. He remembered certain sunsets that he himself used to follow in other days, merely by shifting his chair, and he wanted to help his friend. You know, I can show you a way that you can take a rest whenever you want to. I always want to rest, the lamplighter said, for it is possible to be faithful and lazy at the same time. The little prince continued, Your planet is so small that you can walk around it in three strides. All you have to do is walk more slowly and you'll always be in the sun. And then you want to rest, just walk and the day will last as long as you want it to. What good does that do me, the lamplighter said, when the one thing in life I want to do is sleep. Oh, then you're out of luck, said the little prince. I am, said the lamplighter. Good morning, and he put out his lamp. Now that man, the little prince said to himself as he continued on his journey, that man would be despised by all others, by the king, by the very vain man, by the drunkard, and by the businessman. Yet he's the only one who doesn't strike me as ridiculous. Perhaps it's because he's thinking of something besides himself. He heaved a sigh of regret and said to himself again, That man is the only one I might have made my friend. But his planet is really too small. There's no room for two. What the little prince dared not to admit was that he most regretted leaving that planet because it was blessed with 1,440 sunsets every 24 hours. The sixth planet was ten times bigger than the last. It was inhabited by an old gentleman who wrote enormous books. Ah, here comes an explorer, he exclaimed when he caught sight of the little prince, who was feeling a little winded and sat down on the desk. He had already traveled so much and so far. Where do you come from? The gentleman asked him. What's that big book? Asked the little prince. What do you do with it? I'm a geographer, the old gentleman answered. And what's a geographer? A scholar who knows where the seas are and the rivers and the cities and the mountains and the deserts. That's very interesting, said the little prince. Here, at last, is someone who has a real profession. And he gazed around him at the photographer's planet. He had never seen a planet so majestic. Your planet is very beautiful, he said. Does it have any oceans? Hmm, I couldn't say, said the geographer. Oh, the little prince was disappointed. And mountains? Hmm, I couldn't say, said the geographer. And cities and rivers and deserts? I couldn't tell you that either, said the geographer. But you're a geographer. That's right, said the geographer. But I'm not an explorer. There's not one explorer on my planet. 
A geographer doesn't go out to describe the cities, rivers, mountains, seas, oceans, and deserts. A geographer is too important to go wandering about. He never leaves his study, but he receives the explorers there. He questions them and he writes down what they remember. And if the memories of one of the explorers seem interesting to him, then the geographer conducts an inquiry into that explorer's moral character. Why is that? Because an explorer who told lies would cause disasters in the geography books, as would an explorer who drank too much. Why is that? The little prince asked again. Because drunkards see double, and the geographer would write down two mountains where there was only one. I know someone, said the little prince, who would be a bad explorer. Possibly. Well, the explorer's moral character seems to be a good one. An investigation is made into his discovery. By going to see it? No, that would be too complicated. But the explorer is required to furnish proofs. For instance, if he claims to have discovered a large mountain, he is required to bring back large stones from it. The geographer suddenly grew excited. But you come from far away. You're an explorer. You must describe your planet for me. And the geographer, having opened his logbook, sharpening his pencil. Explorer's reports are the first recorded in pencil. Then ink is used later, only after proofs have been furnished. Well, said the geographer, exponently. Oh, where I live, said the little prince, is not very interesting. It's so small. I have three volcanoes, two active and one extinct, but you never know. You never know, said the geographer. I also have a flower. We don't record flowers, said the geographer. Why not? It's the prettiest thing. Because flowers are ephemeral. What does ephemeral mean? Geographies, said the geographer, are the finest books of all. They never go out of fashion. It's extremely rare for a mountain to change position. It is extremely rare for an ocean to be drained of its water. We write eternal things. But extinct volcanoes can come back to life, the little prince interrupted. What does ephemeral mean? Whether volcanoes are extinct or active comes down to the same thing for us, said the geographer. For us, what counts is the mountain that does not change. But what does ephemeral mean? repeated the little prince, who had never in all his life let go of a question once he asked it. It means which is threatened by imminent disappearance. Is my flower threatened by imminent disappearance? Of course. My flower is ephemeral, the little prince said to himself, and she has only four thorns with which to defend herself against the world, and I have left her all alone where I live. That was his first impulse of regret. But he plucked up his courage again. 
Where would you advise me to visit? He asked. Um, the planet Earth, the geographer answered. It has a good reputation. And the little prince went on his way, thinking about his flower. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Sleepyhead Stories. Make sure you're subscribing so you get alerts every time we release a new episode. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok. Please make sure to send in those shoutouts to sleepyheadstories at gmail.com or send us a direct message on any one of our social medias. Thank you, and we wish you the best day or the best night.